Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. When you were a kid, did you have a special blankie, a special pillow or a special stuff? Do you still have it? (laughs) A blankie is a, that's a serious thing. Place where a kid goes for comfort. And there's, you don't, you don't wash the blankie a whole lot. You know, it, it needs a certain texture. I had friends in Houston who told me the story that they went to Disney World and their six-year-old son, when they got home, realized that he had left his blankie, lost it, gone. And they were just that, get that kind of, oh, no, you know, what are you going to do? It's like when you lose a binky. You can't replace that, you know. And uh, so being Christians, every night when they tucked their son in, they would pray, dear Lord Jesus, God of all blankies of the universe, you know, would you please help somebody to find that, you know. And they're hoping, too, that as they would pray that they're going to walk their son through this experience and and then, you know, God could show up and help, and boy, they learned to trust in God more. Well, it did turn up that in uh, the weeks and months after, there was a FedEx box that landed on their porch, and there was a letter from a worker at Disney. Elsie had found the blanket, the blankie, and had returned it to the open arms of their son. And as the husband, my friend, went off to work that very day, his wife said to him, you know, if the God of the universe can locate a blankie, for a six-year-old and cares that much for our son, he can take care of what's concerning you today. I want to tell you that if God pays attention to the small details in the life of a six-year-old, and he does, he cares for you. You can trust him in what you're going through. He'll bring you comfort and he'll bring you peace, and he's walking with you. He's not asking you to go anywhere or do anything that he's not going to be with you, provide for you, and protect you. And this is the question when we talk about living for God. I'm going to leave that old life of pleasure behind. I'm going to leave that old life of of self-centeredness behind. And I'm going to walk with God, but I'm going to take this step. And my big question is, with the, all the blankies that I've had in my life that have brought me comfort, I'm going to lose that, and I'm going to put all of my hope, my faith, my trust, my life, my future in the hands of one I have not seen. Will he provide for me? Will he protect me? Does he know where I'm at? Is he really with me to the end? And the people of God throughout all of Scripture have, have been people who have been on the move. From the very beginning when God called Abram, he said, go. Abraham would travel 1,100 miles. He didn't know that at the time when God said, go. He went to a land he did not know. It's a good thing. We don't know all the details as God calls you. He doesn't tell you all the details. He tells you what's important. I'm going to be with you. Now you go. And then he has Isaac and Jacob and then Joseph and Joseph travels to Egypt. The people of God end up being there in captivity. Then he calls Moses and he says, go and then let my people go. And then they're traveling what really should have been a two-week journey to the promised land. They drug out to 40 years. 
Because the story of God's people is one of them uh, hearing from God and then live in rebellion they would live and then they would go into captivity. And then they would come to their senses, repent, and God would deliver them and have them move to a new place, into freedom, into, into, into liberty. They would go from disobeying God and going into captivity, and then they would obey God, repent, and he would lead them into a, a, a spacious place, into liberty. And so there's all this movement in the people of God where they're in captivity and then they're moving, and they're in captivity and they're moving. And it's the same way with us. Uh, when Jesus calls up us, Jesus says, come, follow me. It's not stay where you are. It's come and follow me. And every move that we're making, all of these internal moves that we're making away from greed into generosity, away from sin and into holiness, away from a certain self-centered way of thinking into thinking of other. all of these moves require this great trust in a loving God. And so uh, today I want to talk about from uh, Isaiah... There was a move from the people of God were coming out of captivity and they were going back to Jerusalem. There was a remnant of them that were going to go from Babylon uh, back to Jerusalem, five, six, seven hundred mile journey. And as the people of God were getting ready to move and they were being set free uh, through the prophet Isaiah, he's going to encourage them and tell them why and how they can make this move with him. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 says this. But now... This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and when you pass through the river, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. That's pretty good news right there. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we thank you today that we can talk about your word and, and we can talk about you, Lord Jesus. God, we just ask you right now that the very things that you want to speak to us, you'd give us ears to hear those things. And those things that we hear, God, I pray that they'd be a source today of encouragement and comfort for the journey that we're on with you. Now, Lord, you know the place of every person here, where we're all at. So, God, I pray you draw us all closer to you. Father, for those who need to make a decision to follow you, help them to take those steps to give you their entire life. We thank you, Father, for all these things. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So let's look at this together. We're on this journey in life. <laughs> I mean, there's some scary things in life. There's some fearful things in life. And as God calls you, I, I don't know about you, but even when I was giving my life to Christ, there was, there, was, there was fear there about what this means to me and what this means to my life and my future and how am I going to walk this out. And I know I'm not perfect and I know I'm, I'm not worthy. And what, There's all kinds of fear and all kinds of stuff. We're going on this journey, and let's see if this can help us uh, in this way. Isaiah 43.1 says, uh, God starts it out and he says uh, through Isaiah, but now this is what the Lord says. And look how he starts. He who created you, Jacob, and he who formed you, Israel. That he, he begins this whole statement with uh, ownership. He says to all of us, as you get ready for this journey, as you're getting ready, first of all, you need to know this. I'm the one who created you. 
and I'm the one who made you. You did not uh, swim out of some primordial soup and start to crawl and then start to stand and then start to think. It didn't happen that way. You were made, you were created by God. And this is a great place to start. Because if you want to find out your meaning, you need to go back to your maker. You find in the maker what the maker made, what the maker meant when he made what he made. You following me? You have to go back to, if you've got a Kenmore, something or other, then, then, the, then the, I mean, the paperwork says Kenmore. If you have Mercedes, you don't go to the Ford dealer. All the Mercedes owners said, amen to that. You've got to go back to the one who made you as you're searching. Listen, if you're searching for the meaning of life and you're wondering, you come into this church and there's all this singing and all this rowdy, did you hear the reggae music at the start? What in the world is going on? And games, and now we're talking about scripture. Listen, if you're looking for the meaning of life and you're searching for it, it's the great, greatest place to start is in the one who made you. And this is the way God starts this whole statement out. It's like in, Jesus says to John in Revelation, he says, tell the church, tell them the Alpha and the Omega said da-da-da-da-da. It's like, dang, he brought it. <laughs> tell them the beginning and the end said this. He's identifying himself, and this is very important as we begin this journey. You identify who God is. God is your creator. Uh, he, he is the one who made us. And what I always think of when I think of this is I think of Psalm 139. And if you have time to read this this week, I would encourage you to do so. Not only that, but to personalize Psalm 139 and get acquainted with it. Uh, because the psalmist here really captures the heart of God for us individually. It says, put yourself in this. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Isn't it great to be known by God? Yes. He knows you. You know when I sit down and you know when I stand up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God understands you. You're not too complicated for him. You might be smarter than the people around you, but you're not smarter than the one who made you. He knows your thoughts fully. He understands you. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord... You know it completely. Do you know the Lord knows exactly how you'll respond to every situation? He just knows you. He knows you. He knows you. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Have you ever tried to run from God only to find out he was already there? You go as far away as you want. You get out of the train, off the plane, whatever it is. You go to a deserted island. You go behind a, some tree somewhere, and you try to hide out. But God's already there. Where can I go from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Is there any greater miracle than that of the birth of a child? Is there anybody other than God that could have in the womb this miracle being made, knit together by him, that he's intimately involved in that? He understands that he created that. That did not just happen. God designed it that way. And if you've ever been around when a child is born, there is immediate awe of God. Even if you might not believe in him, there's, some, there's something that comes from you that says this is too awesome to believe. I personally don't want to be in the room. I want to come in a few minutes after. 
Amen. Okay. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. If you can believe what the scripture is saying, God is saying before your parts were parts, I already knew your name. I already knew your personality. I already knew what you would be like. This is why when you come to know who God is, he can put you in the perfect place with the perfect people doing the perfect stuff because he made you, he designed you, he created you, he knows you. He knows you beyond yourself. Of what you think you might want to do, you get a relationship with him and he shows you what he intended all along. What, you, what he intended for you all along. We were woven, woven together in the depths. Your eyes saw my unformed body even before you were made. God knew you. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. I, I want to encourage you today. You're walking along with God. He knows you. You are known by him by name. And he knows your thoughts. When you think no one else understands you, God understands you. It was Jesus who came to Nathanael, and he was calling these disciples by name. He said, I saw you when you were underneath the tree, and I saw what you were thinking. And Nathanael says, you're the Savior. And he said, you believe in me just because I said that? Greater things are you going to see. But the point is, he knew exactly who he was. As soon as he saw the apostle Peter, he, he nicknamed him The Rock. He didn't see him just as a failure, as one who would despise or, or turn away from or reject Jesus, but he saw him standing up in the book of Acts, preaching mightily for, for, for God. And he called it out from the very beginning, God knows you by name. And he knows who he created you to be. Man, why, how in the world can we pass through the waters and pass through the fires? Because you are known. You could wake up every morning and say, God knows where I'm at. He knows where I'm at. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows you. And then he follows that up with a very common phrase in Scripture. Do not fear. <laughs> Does God know us or what? I mean, because as soon as he calls you, you get scared. It's throughout all Scripture. He calls Moses. Moses gets scared. I can't talk. I stutter. I don't know. I'll put my words in your mouth. Don't worry about it. Jeremiah says, I'm too young, I can't do it. He said, do not fear their faces. When Joshua's going to take over, be strong and courageous and do not fear. Every single time God talks to people, Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm, I'm unclean and I can't, oh. God says, I'm going to be with you. Do not be afraid. And Jesus so often said, do not be afraid to the disciples, it seemed like a common greeting for him. Hi, guys, don't be afraid. He would walk on the water. Don't be afraid. You're going to be afraid, okay? There's things that are going to freak you out. Then he got in the boat and calmed the storm. And when he calmed the storm, they were afraid. What, who is this guy that can calm the storm? Go away from me, Lord. Listen, God knows. 
that it's common for us to doubt. It's common for us to be afraid. But he's saying don't be afraid. But then he's not just saying don't be afraid. He's going to give you reasons why not to fear. He doesn't want you to be in fear because fear will paralyze you. Fear will keep you where you're at instead of making, allowing you the freedom to move. Fear, will ma- you will make the worst decisions of your life when you make your decision out of fear. You say, why'd you do that? Well, I was afraid if I didn't. You should never make a decision from fear. You make a decision being led by the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I've gotten to the place where if I, if I even sense any fear, uh-uh, no. That's not how I'm going to make my decision. Because God says, do not fear. He's not saying there's not reason to be afraid. But he's telling us not to fear. And why? He gives us reasons not to fear. Here's a reason he gives. A reason you don't have to fear? God has redeemed you. God has redeemed you. This word redeemed is a great word in scripture. And it has in it the ability, there's, we don't really have this in our language today, where there's, there's this past, present, and future tense to a word. But redemption in this way was this way. You have been redeemed. You are redeemed. You are being redeemed. You will be fully redeemed. There's all of that in that word. And to be redeemed means to be purchased back. Why do I not have to fear? Because you have been bought. God bought you back. Uh, This idea of past, present, and future tense is the same way when, um, hang with me, when Moses was called to go tell the people, you know, let my people go. And he said, well, they, how will they know who sent me? I'm just, to them, I'm just Mo. They know me, you know. And he says, you tell them, I am sent you. Dude. Doesn't even have a name. What's his name? I am. What does that mean? Always was. Always is always will be. I am. This is the same thing that happened when Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees. And they said, our father is Abraham. And he said, your father's the devil. This conversation didn't go well. (laughs) They said, no, our father's Abraham. He said, no, if your father were Abraham, you'd have known who I am because my father is God. And if you know the father, you know me. And if you'd have known me, you'd have known the father. And if you'd have known the father, you'd have recognized me. And then he went on to say, John 8, 58, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. He adopted the very same name of God, always was, always is. And this this sense of redemption written in Isaiah, we hadn't yet seen Jesus Christ, but he's saying prophetically, you have been redeemed, you are being redeemed, and you will be redeemed. And in the New Testament, they would have really understood this, this word to buy back. Because as, as barbaric as this sounds, they would actually go to a market and they would buy slaves in the first century. And they would look at people, they would look at these slaves, and they would actually uh, beat the slaves to see how strong they were. They would check their mouth to see if they were healthy. They would walk around them, they would inspect them like you would do at the mall, but with a human being. And then if they wanted to purchase the slave, and they, when the slave went to the auction block, If the auctioneer knew and recognized that you had your eye on a particular slave, the cost would go way up, and people would be willing to pay. The the sense of redemption in the New Testament is a sense of something that costs a, a very high price. But then there were these people 
who would uh, come to the auction for the sole purpose of buying back a slave and setting them free, redeeming that slave. This is the notion of redemption in the New Testament. The notion of redemption in the New Testament is that you and I were slaves to sin and had no way out. But God loves us so much that he sent his only son. And his son went to the marketplace and looked at you. And the price was far too costly. What did it cost him? His own life and his own blood he paid for you. When you're going through your daily life and walking with God, you can say, he knows me. Not only that, he paid the ultimate price for me. Your value is found in him and what he paid for you. If he gave his only son, and how precious is that? Arguably, yes, the most precious and valuable person in the universe shed his blood for you. Then you are equal. The same love that the father has for the son is the same love that he has for you because you were given, uh, he was given for you as a ransom. I can walk through the water. I can walk through the fire. I'm not going to be burnt. I'm not going to drown. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. Why? Because he created me. He knows me. And he paid too high a price. God has a lot invested in you. He knows right where you're at. 1 Peter 1.18 says this. For you know that it was not with the perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's a pretty great thought when you, when, you, when you think about how much God loves us. How do you know God loves you? He gave his son for us. I mean, I can't, describe, I can't explain to you why he would care so much because don't you know one another and don't you know yourself? And aren't you surprised when you think about it? Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that he would call us the sons of God. Who are we? But it's his love so great for us, unexplainable, that he gives his own son for us. That we should really walk in that newness of life. We should take full advantage of that. He's got you surrounded. He's got you covered. And anything he asks you to do, any place he asks you to go, he's going to go with you. Uh, I'll close with this little story. We, uh, I may have told you this before, but... My folks had their 25th uh, wedding anniversary. This has been like almost 25 years ago now. And they had their vows renewed. And so we went to this church that they had given their life to Jesus in. And, and I was in college at the time. And I hated the idea of God at that time. And I hated the, I, I hated the idea of church. I did not like this particular church that we were going to go and have these vows renewed. Have you ever been at church when you're not serving God and you're just like sitting in the back and sweating the whole time? You're just hating it, right? So I, I went to the, we went to this church. We, we, they were renewing their vows, and, and I didn't like the pastor. I didn't like the church. I didn't like anything about it. And I stood on the stage about in this place as, as they were renewing their vows, and, and I made a promise to myself. While they were renewing their vows, I made a little evil vow. I'm never stepping foot in this church again. I don't ever want to see that pastor again. I hate this place. I hate him. I hate this. I'll never be here again. Never. I am so done. I was in a bad place. Fast forward three years. Three short years later, <laughs> through a series of a lot of circumstances, most based on my own stupidity and God's grace and mercy, I had given my life back to Christ. I had married my college sweetheart 
and I was on staff as a pastor at that very church. <laughs> oh, don't clap. <laughs> no, but it gets better. I was on staff as a pastor, and I remember preaching, and it was one of my very first times ever preaching, and, and, and I remember, I, I believe it's the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was preaching, I was standing in that very spot. I had never thought about it for those years. But when I was standing in that very spot and I was teaching away, all of a sudden, I, I, it's hard to describe this. It's like the Holy Spirit said, hey. Hey. How you doing? It's like, and for a moment, honestly, there was a little bit of guilt and shame. I had waited so long and rejected God for so long. You have that, that wasted time. Listen, if you're away from God today, all you have to do is repent. Just get back with him. He's longing to have a relationship with you. If you have any distance at all, you just come back to him. He's got a plan for you, and it never goes away. He's got, a, he's got a future and a hope for you, and it, it never changes. He's got it. It's just waiting for you to respond to it. But also, while I was standing there, kind of guilt and shame all the while, I probably just kept on talking. All this is going on on the inside. I also felt uh, the joy of the Father, just his joy in us, saying to me, you know, he's sovereign. He knew when I stood there and made that vow. He knew I'd, still, I'd be there preaching his word to his people on that very same spot. He knew he would eventually uh, have his way and wanted to have his way with me and his sovereignty. He had me hemmed in front and in the back. I'm just telling you that whatever you're going through right now, God sees the end of that thing. And the end is glorious. And if you, as you walk with him, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Could a, could a nursing mother forget her own child? But even if she does, how could I forget you, says the Lord? I have you etched in my hands, it says in Isaiah. He'll never forget you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. It's safe to walk with him. Let's stand together and we'll pray before we go. I would also encourage you to not make vows against God. <laughs> So, Father, we come to you today with grateful hearts. Thank you that you know us, you've called us, you've created us, and you've made us. Thank you that you have redeemed us and you walk with us. I pray for your people today, Father, that as they go, uh, they would know your great love, the height, the width, the depth of your love for them. God, I ask you that there would be joy in their home and in their work and in their car as they go along in their daily life with you, joy that is a result of serving you and loving you and knowing you more. We, we want to in, increase in your grace and a knowledge of you, and we thank you that you're doing all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.